Welcome back to the Asia Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Chan. You can find me on Twitter at jchanpharma. As of recording this episode, right now we are on our way to hitting 45 million cases of COVID-19 worldwide. The majority of those have recovered, but new cases are still rising in most countries. And if anything this year's pandemic has highlighted, it's how vulnerable our healthcare systems can be. Of course, even before the emergence of COVID-19, many countries face challenges in providing equitable healthcare access to all of their population. So today on the show, we explore what healthcare systems in the APAC region look like and why it's important for different stakeholders to work together to find new ways to improve the system. In this episode, I'm joined by Rachel Fritzberg, Area Head of Asia Pacific for Roche Pharma. Originally from the UK, Rachel shares with us what led her to Asia, why she's passionate about working with different decision makers to improve health equity in the region, and what does future-proofing healthcare systems mean, and what will it look like? Hi Rachel, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast today. Hi Jonathan, good to be with you today. Yeah, well, I'm very excited to be able to speak to you, to have you share with us a little bit about yourself and your work. You know, I, for one, have had uh, really great experiences with Roche. Uh, personally, um, earlier this year, I had the opportunity to work with some of your colleagues at Roche Diagnostics to produce some uh, online content. And um, last year, we uh, towards the end of the year, I traveled with the Roche Diabetes team for the uh, International Diabetes Federation uh, Congress in uh, Korea and had a chance to you know, learn about the products and everything. Um, so it's, it's just been great. And today I get to speak with you and learn more about uh, Roche Pharma. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> to complete the, the full spectrum of, of some of the experience you've had so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah. Really. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So in today's show, I want to take a look at, you know, what the healthcare landscape looks like, particularly for the uh, APAC region. And I say that knowing how large and diverse the region is. And so maybe as we explore some of these themes and observations that you might have, we can focus on a couple of areas that you might think would be more interesting or uh, where we've seen a lot of change. And, you know, needless to say, this year has been uh, completely chaotic (laughs) with the pandemic forcing all of us to um, you know adapt to kind of new norms and the way we work and live and so there are a lot of implications for that um, for the healthcare sector as well um, so love to explore that with you so you know before we get into all that for folks who don't know you um, can you share with us a little bit about who you are and what you do yeah thanks Jonathan so I'm originally from the UK which I think you can tell from my my accent um, and I've been in Singapore and, uh, for the last two years, although I've worked overall for about five years within, within Asia. And um, maybe just give a little bit background to time frame of before I was uh, outside of the UK and, and, and before that. So I actually started my career in working in, uh, for Bayer, but focusing on manufacturing and chemicals side of things, you know, but quite quickly felt that that was a little bit not sort of so driven with my purpose of wanting to have an impact and potentially, you know, having impact on patients' lives and people's lives. And so then moved to the healthcare sector. And actually, before sort of doing the role that I do now, which is, you know, area head for Asia Pacific, prior to that, worked in a number of different pharmaceutical companies in the UK, uh, like DSK, Bering, and also then uh, Sanofi, and then joined Roche 
So I've actually been with Roche for almost 15 years now. And all of that time lived us in the UK and did sort of roles in uh, global roles, regional roles, um, also local roles as well. And came to Asia originally back in 2012 and, and worked in Hong Kong for a few years as a general manager. And then went back to Europe and then, and then came back to Asia two years ago. Oh, and wow. so in, in the role that I'm in now as, as area head for Asia Pacific, I cover a spectrum of markets, you know, from our emerging markets to our more developed markets. And really spend um, a lot of time thinking about how, how we can work and partner and shape our healthcare systems. But of course, also at the same time, spearheading on our overall sort of business strategy for Roche and from a pharma perspective. Um, and thinking about how we can really bring our medicines to the patients in Asia. Mm. So I've had the opportunity for the last two years to be based out of Singapore mm. um, and, you know, really being enjoying being back in, in Asia as well. From my own perspective, I love the diversity, I mean, that Asia Pacific brings and each country brings and the richness and the, and the culture of being here. And, you know, so day to day, I it's a mix really of working from home currently and have been for most of this year. So supporting our, our leaders in their roles from an internal perspective and um, from an external perspective, really, you know, working with many of our stakeholders across across Asia Pacific and thinking about, you know, how can we really bring better healthcare, equitable care to um, patients in, in APAC. So this is something that from a Roche perspective, one of the things that we very focused on at the moment is our pharma vision and that's around bringing three to five times more medic medical benefit at 50 percent of the cost to society and this is something that i'm really passionate about thinking about how can we achieve that in asia so it's a really bold ambition and for myself as a leader you know i'm i'm very the type of person who is very passionate about things like this vision that we have and how do we improve patient health care i like to sort of ensure that I'm what I'm doing is very purposeful and, and has impact. One of the things I like about this job is the fact that I can reach so many different countries and have the possibility to speak to so many different stakeholders who could influence the way that healthcare could evolve and change in the future. And the other thing is I'm very focused on people. So I really endeavor to um, pay it forward where I can and focus on developing others you know so thinking about our future leaders how we can bring more diversity to our leadership and so I spend a lot of time also mentoring and, and supporting people in, in their development. Uh, that's fantastic so what made you decide to um, you know back in 2012 come to Asia was it um, an opportunity to you know work here or a new role and or was it personally because you want to do some traveling here um you know a lot of people who speak to me um who you know come to asia for the first time or just moved here they you know one of the things that they tell me is oh i'm really you know glad that um in asia there's so many countries that are so close together and it's easy to take like a weekend trip to explore new places and stuff so yeah how how, how was your decision of coming here like in 2012 
Yeah, so it's a great question because actually at the time, so it was a mixture of things actually mm. because when I had the opportunity, there was a general manager role coming up in Hong Kong and actually at the same time, I had just been offered a, a, the same position but in Finland. So oh. there was this, um, um, but my husband was working a lot in, in Asia and so um, and at the time as well, I just thought, would this be a possibility that actually I take the role and, and work in Hong Kong instead? And there were many things that I think, you know, attracted me to that opportunity. One was just, it was the first time that really would have had that full experience of uh, working in Asia, getting chance to, you know, I'd heard a lot um, from colleagues who'd had the chance to work here. Just, I think, the way that people approach things very with an open mind, very curious, and a lot of innovation coming out of Asia. And I just wanted to have the opportunity to experience that um, myself mm. and have the opportunity to experience it through living here as well and, and also to have a, a very different cultural experience as well to the ones that I've, I've had in the past. Mm-hmm. And also learn as a leader on, you know, with gaining that different experience, you know, what would I be able to then bring into my role, but also to have a, a bigger impact elsewhere. So it was a relatively quick decision when, <laughs> when I was given the chance, you know, to go to Finland or to go to Hong Kong. <laughs> and I think Hong Kong was a great place to sort of to start just because I think you have this mixture of East meets West, you know, within one place and mm. you still have seasons and you still have the, you know, great coastline and at the same time have opportunities to be in the mountains and so on. So it was quite, in, you know, quite a great place to, to first sort of start the journey of being in, in Asia Pacific, I think. Mm, that sounds great. Yeah, um, I I enjoy Hong Kong. The food here is great, and as you said, you can do some uh, hiking. You know, it's very easy to just take a taxi to you know some place and start hiking for a couple of hours, and really easy to get back home as well. So definitely one of the advantages. And as you say, um, just being able to work with uh, different colleagues. Um, you know, if you're in Asia, you get to work in probably a very multicultural environment. I'm sure for you. You know, just to be able to understand the differences in the healthcare systems, I would say it's probably important to be here. You know, and on this topic, we do see a lot of um, like dis- differences and, and disparities between countries. You know, for for healthcare, um, you know, I can imagine depending on what country you're in, um, where they are in their social or economical development, they might do uh, healthcare differently. So. Yeah, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, um, you know, from your experience working with different people, different decision makers across the region, you know, how do you see healthcare in Asia? And maybe what were your first impressions coming here and in contrast with maybe the UK? And yeah, it's, again, great. Um, great question because I think you mentioned about the diversity and I think there's one thing that's really struck me has been I mean of course there's such a massive population here you know almost 60% of the overall world population is based in Asia Pacific and then you're thinking about needing to meet the needs of healthcare for all of those people and then there's this such a broad range of countries, whether it's coming from countries like, for example, Australia or New Zealand to other countries like Vietnam or Indonesia. 
and so one of my passions um, and in the in the current role that I have is you know how can we solve for ensuring that there's really equity of healthcare to people and that they really can access the healthcare that they actually need, but also thinking about how we shape um, healthcare for the future. But what struck me, you know, particularly in the first year when I was in this role, where I had you know, a broad reach across a number of different countries, you know, the just the how big some of the disparities are. You know, for example, thinking around when I was in in Vietnam, you can be in an oncology hospital in in Ho Chi Minh City, and there being three patients to a bed who are, who are needing and waiting for, for treatment and you're trying to pick your way down the, the stairwells to be where there's people waiting to see the doctor and so on versus, you know, in Thailand, they're meeting stakeholders there, really people needing to make tough choices because access to treatments were not straightforward and sometimes it's lifestyle choices that they need to make. And so I think when, and of course with, with my current role needing to span the case of more of the developed markets where there's we're moving in one direction and then some of the developing markets as well and thinking about you know how can we take that diversity that exists within Asia Pacific and then think about well how do you really be able to bring the treatment and care that's needed to the individual and to the patient and so I think there it, it really requires you know a lot of working with both internal and external stakeholders in order to try to sort of figure out how we can do that and that there's not a one-size-fits-all approach. But, of course, there's learnings that you can get from across uh, different countries as well. I, th- I think the other thing as well that struck me in particular in the last, you know, in, since 2020 and everything that's happened with COVID is is just how with that whole situation you can see that the some of the healthcare systems have really been laid bare with, you know, sort of some of the issues that they're sort of facing. But at the same time, it's really an inflection point because some of the technologies and things that, that have been there in the system in the past are suddenly being used and, and providing different opportunities on how we think about how patients actually get treated and so on. So um, a lot of opportunity, but and but and I don't think for me there's it's something where it can feel enormous as in the the issues that are there, but at the same time there's possibility to be able to to solve for it. But it really does require a lot of collaboration and and partnership in order to to get there. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned how you were were focusing on developed kind of systems, and then. Um, you might have to switch back to more of the developing countries as well. So how different is it when you're focusing on trying to understand a healthcare system in a more developed place versus a, a developing country? Um, is it more easy to you know, speak to the stakeholders? Are they more open to um, your ideas because they're, I don't know, maybe they're more economically developed and so it's easy to kind of entertain these uh, new ideas of how to improve their their, uh, healthcare system or you know were there any common themes uh, across the region and uh, major differences? I think yeah it's a great perspective because I think it's around thinking about actually what is really important is trying to understand specifically what's their focus area and as you say Mm -hmm. it can be it can be very different whether 
you're trying to solve for something in, say, Australia or even Thailand versus in Vietnam. And so, so it's been an approach of really understanding what is the, what is their pain point or what is it really that they're needing to solve for. And then to think about where is there a potential role or, or, or who can we bring together to be able to solve for that. And the types of differences that I would, I would say is, for example, in Taiwan, you know, we're already having, you know, we had earlier a memorandum of understanding signed on, you know, how we can work together to be able to, to bring data together to better inform treatment decisions for physicians. Whereas in Vietnam, we're more collaborating on how do we put together a cancer strategy that can actually be able to help support, say, a particular city or a particular area within Vietnam or, or nationwide within Vietnam? So, you know, one is more maybe about thinking around what strategy is needed in place, whereas another one is, is more advanced, maybe thinking around what's the evidence that we can work together on in order for physicians to be able to make future decisions for their patients. Where I think there's an opportunity and, and one area that we're working in which sort of brings everything together is, is if we used to say, okay, how do we, how do we future-proof healthcare moving forward? So what is needed? And, and then one of the things that we're taking a look at is if we, if we think around how we really can treat an individual moving you know, tailor treatments for individuals, whether you're in Vietnam or whether you're in, in Australia, um, what's needed, what type of healthcare system would be needed, and looking at what are different parameters, what data is needed in order to drive decisions, and looking at each of the individual countries to see how equipped they are to be able to do that, and then bring countries together to sort of compare and contrast around what information is coming back. So you're sort of saying, okay, what is it that we need in the future for healthcare? And then what are the gaps that exist in the different healthcare systems and how, how can those be solved for? So it's really starting to bring a conversation together with and bringing um, policymakers around the table to be able to have those, those dialogues. Um, and what's the specific focus area that the different countries may be needing to look into? Mm. Well, one of the things I also wanted to ask was, um, you know, the relationship between industry and the government and uh, NGOs uh, working in different in different countries, right? So, you know, healthcare is uh, complex already in itself, but you know, having to work with different types of governments and um, I can imagine there's so many factors that can affect the overall strategy and just being able to improve healthcare. Maybe the political willpower of uh, <laughs> certain governments, uh, budgetary constraints. Can you talk a little bit about how um, important it is to be cost conscious and also establishing trust um, with the government agencies and also the NGOs and, and, and local um, partners that you work yeah, I mean, it is really critical. I think with any human relationship, trust is always the, sort of the, the starting point. And, and I think that comes back to trying to understand what people, you know, what's on their agenda, what's important 
for them. And when I say what's on their agenda, I mean whether it's from the, the government's perspective, whether it's from the NGO's perspective, you know, the patient's perspective, the physician's perspective, and the more that you can bring the different perspectives into play um, and try and bring people around a common agenda, so taking into account what's their own specific agenda, but, you know, something that people can step into. So, you know, even we had a conversation um, recently around um, this future-proofing initiative where we had many different stakeholders from many different countries across Asia-Pacific, um, different types of stakeholders as well. But everyone could align to you that it's really important to bring improved well-being of, of patients and people in healthcare in Asia. Everyone could align around the fact that they wanted, everyone wanted to strive towards equitable care and access to medicines in Asia. For me, it's around how do you bring people together on, on a common agenda. And also, I think there's times as well, I guess, from the industry perspective where we need to put our agenda you know, aside because in the end it should be you know, what, what's going to be serving the patients, what will serve the society, and then in the end what's the role that we can actually play there. I think this, this for me is really what, when we talk, often people talk about you know, there's the diversity, but it's the inclusion as well around bringing stakeholders together at a table. And being, I think sometimes it's like you can have data-driven conversations. That's often also what I, you know, when I talk with my colleagues um, who are who are working more closely with their stakeholders within the countries, if they can have a data-driven conversation around what issues exist in the system, then it's easier to align behind it because then it's it's the data, and then it's in the end, then it's very, you know, then they can see the what needs to happen. I'll give you an example. So there was a, a recent report from the Economic Intelligence Unit just looking at cancer preparedness and looking across a number of different countries in Asia Pacific. And you could see where, um, first of all, that there was, you know, if we look forward in 2030, and I think, let me check the data, but I think it was something like, yeah, by 2030, the number of people battling with cancer was expected to surge by around 35%. And mortality was is expected to rise by almost 40%. That's looking at Asia Pacific. When you have data like that, then it's very difficult for people to... People want to then engage in the conversation around what is it that we can do to, it, to be able to solve for that. And, and that's what I mean around having, for example, a data-driven conversation. But then the, if the data is very specific to their own country, and by, by speaking around that, then I think that helps to build the trust that you're not, you're, you're using it in a way to, to try to move the dialogue forward and think about how can we collaborate to shape healthcare systems and so on to be able to provide better care. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah. Makes total sense. And um, yeah, I think it's definitely um, helpful to have data backing the conversation, whether it's like evidence-based kind of data or um, being on the ground and, and, and just knowing the, the situation uh, firsthand. And, you know, one of the things that has come up this year, particularly is because of the global pandemic, the healthcare sector and uh, drug companies, medical device companies, pretty much all healthcare type companies have 
been put in the forefront of people's minds because you know everyone's trying to solve this pandemic situation. How can we stop the spread of this virus? Because it's really been disruptive for everyone. How has your work been like this year?、Um, whether yourself personally or even you know Roche Pharma、uh, in APAC, you know I've spoken to different companies over the past few months, and you know some of them have had to kind of reallocate some resources. Some other companies, if they're running clinical trials, they suddenly find themselves not being able to get their patients to the trial sites and、um, not being able to get into the hospitals for、uh, safety reasons.、Um, yeah, so. Could you share how your work been impacted? Yeah, I think、um, for me, it's been like this. This year has been like, and I think for many, many people, not one that you could ever would have imagined, you know, to、mm-hmm. take place. I was watching a, a video of a hackathon that we'd done with some of, some various different stakeholders around February or January or February of this year, and I think that was the last time. You know, you got quite nostalgic at the time when you were actually face to face with people and interacting with people in that in that way. You know, it's like, gosh,、yeah. that was this year. <laughs>、um, so I think for me, it's, it has been, as I said, this real inflection point. What I have, what I would say, is I have been felt incredibly proud with the way that the whole organisation that I've seen our employees within Roche sort of jump into action. To see to help to support in order to get our treatments to patients. That's been the, the first one, you know, because of course we have many of these, you know, looking to see what of our medicines would be able to help and support in this situation, and then thinking about how do we get medicines to the patients that actually need them. And in certain countries, you know, particularly. Like in Philippines or Malaysia, where there were movement control orders, you know, how it wasn't, you know, there wasn't a wasn't so straightforward in 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 making that happen. Particularly sometimes in some of the in the cities、um, and sometimes with the rural areas. And the first thing is, I saw that there was there was a lot of everyone just coming together. So whether that was at an industry association level on. How can we make sure that the supply gets to the patients? Whether it's across countries within, say, Roche, you know, we needed supply in one of the markets and one of our medicines that could help in a, in critical situations in this pandemic. And you know, we had sources coming from three different countries in order to support one of the countries. You know, very quickly, who was short of supply. So people just jumping into action. And then we, the other things that we saw as well was, in certain circumstances, as you mentioned, you know, there's it's been harder for patients who've got non-communicable diseases to get, you know, to the hospitals because they've been concerned about infection with COVID. And there we saw some of our colleagues looking at ways to how they could take the treatment closer to the patient's home. So in the Philippines, there were mobile infusion vans、uh, under this umbrella of FlexCare, and that was done with in collaboration with physicians, with the NGOs, and so on, to think about how do we bring the treatment closer to the patient's home. So that was one of the examples, and I think there's also, of course, we've seen the way that people engage with each other. You know, us, of course, now doing the call. 
you know, using Zoom, but um, that's also been where we've actually had some product launches at this time. And, you know, in South Korea, the team were about, uh, they needed to cancel a quite last minute some face-to-face meetings. And instead, of course, they did everything completely remotely with their physicians. Plus, I think also there's been opportunities where people just needed educating, you know, patients needing educating on some of their, their conditions and so on, and then looking to see, okay, how can we help to solve that through, again, remotely as well. So it's I've just seen a lot of, I'd say, innovation, um, mm-hmm. a lot of people just wanting to support and, and to help and to contribute, and a lot of commitment and passion to think, you know, so really seeing people come together to solve the things in a different way that maybe we wouldn't have imagined would have happened before. I think also the other thing is I've seen new possibilities as well, you know, so we've seen lots of changes, whether it's been regulatory policies to enable supply for other um, manufacturing sites to open up really quickly or for expediating approval for clinical trial sites when there's been medicines that have been important for the COVID situation or whether it's been use of telecommunications um, and really figuring out how we can reach out to patients who are in more rural um, settings or who can't come in to see the physicians. And I think about two days ago, I saw an article which was you know, mentioning about in India how insurance policies are now actually covering patients who who can have um, remote consultas, consultations and, and things like that. So, you know, virtual clinics now become much more more of the norm. So that those are just some of the things. I think, and then at the same time, of course, um, having the majority of employees working from home and then seeing how they've adapted and changed and having well-being campaigns, you know, seeing people just connect in a very different way and look after each other and care for each other has also been incredibly, um, it's just been amazing to see. Mm. Of course, it's brought a lot of um, hardship in certain areas and personal loss for many different reasons, but at the same time, there's been a lot of opportunity that's been created through this whole situation. Mm. Yeah, I love the examples you were giving. And, you know, I want to transition into this idea of future-proofing the healthcare system. Uh, but in regards to the pandemic, um, I was just wondering how, you know, because of all these um, changes that we've had to get used to. And, you know, for some of the examples, I can also think of one example where um, in South Korea, telemedicine was actually um, prohibited for various reasons. And I was reading an article the other day about how the government is now more open to the idea of telemedicine because of um, just safety reasons and just being able to reach, for example, the elderly population with chronic conditions who cannot really, um, they're more they're more immobile and cannot really make the trip to, say, the hospital, which could be quite far away. And so I'm sensing that a lot of countries, uh, governments are, you know, very willing to make this change. And, you know, in the beginning of the pan- pandemic, some of the narrative was, you know, maybe this is just um like the flu virus. It'll, it'll we'll we'll get over it very quickly. And you know, as as scientists, researchers um do more studies, they quickly realize, oh no, I think this is something that's here to stay. And you know, we really need a vaccine. And 
you know, from your perspective, have you sensed this whole change in in government's attitude, or are they more willing to put more resources into the healthcare system, knowing that you know something like this uh, is not just a temporary situation, but pandemics could be a real threat, and that they should put more resources into making some permanent changes that would lead to a more you know sustainable and resilient healthcare system. Yeah, I think there's people seeing more opportunity and it's, you know, it can be on, like, as you say, around evolving regulatory policies or thinking around, you know, how to be able to reach patients that they, you know, aren't able to come in um, to the hospitals and so on. So I think, you know, before there was a strain on the healthcare system due to aging population, you know, changing in the way that we're sort of seeing more of the rise of non-communicable diseases and, and many of these things were already there. So this COVID has sort of put a, an additional pressure onto the healthcare systems. But I do see that there's people being open to, okay, so, you know, what, what can we consider? What do we need to think about from a policy perspective that will be able to potentially change the way that we treat? And, and also with that can come the use of technology. I think we've seen much more people being much more open to things like remote monitoring and how you can monitor certain patients' conditions through um, technology, which they, they wouldn't have been thinking about before, and, and partnering with different partners as well um, versus the ones that, that maybe partnered with in the past. And so I think part of I, the, the thing that I see that my role is, is around how do you bring some of these stakeholders together to have that conversation together to think about what could be possible mm-hmm. um, because it's because I think there's a will there to evolve and change but it's not necessarily always thinking around or, or knowing what could be possible particularly as you sort of see um, technology advancements evolving uh, as well I give you one of the examples as well that for that we've been able to start that we accelerated, and this was in a partnership of with group that focuses on City Cancer Challenge, so CCAN, and this was around how do we bring in sort of in rural parts of countries like Philippines again or Indonesia where you have telemedicine mentoring so you connect the physicians together so that they can mentor each other um, some, with some of those physicians that are in more of the remote areas of the country um, and this is an initiative called ECHO which enables through technology to be able to bring people together through this mentoring system. So this was something where there's an opportunity to accelerate that we were doing anyway, but as a result of COVID and sort of by speaking to the different parties, you know, they wanted to be able to, to bring this forward much quicker than what we would have done in the past. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think there's, there's the desire to want to be able to evolve and change. And it's thinking about how can we help to support to, to bring different solutions to the table. Mm. Yeah, so transitioning into this concept of, of future-proofing uh, healthcare, um, I think we alluded to a lot of um, initiatives that we as drug companies and biotechs are, are doing. From the Rush standpoint, can you talk a little bit about how do you future-proof uh, health systems and what can it look like practically? Yeah, because it sounds uh, 
more in theory versus practice. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's very much looking at um, how can we, you know, we talked about data in the past, so how can we have online, it's like we're putting together, first of all, taking the, the group of different stakeholders who are coming from various different parts within the healthcare ecosystem across Asia Pacific. And with them having a conversation about how can we develop an online digital data-driven policy tool um, that helps different countries um, measure their readiness towards personalized healthcare. And the reason we're looking at personalized healthcare is if you can really tailor, you know, a treatment to what you specifically need as an individual, so taking a data-driven, patient-centered approach you can then end up making decisions and choices that, you know, you're more likely to benefit from one, one medicine or one approach versus another, um, and then capture that data, gain those learnings that can inform sort of wider population view. And through that view as well, it means that you can cut out some of the inefficiencies in the healthcare system. So, for example, giving patients treatments that they don't respond to. Um, or maybe take the too long versus the time that they actually need to. So this future-proofing healthcare is saying, okay, how do we? What data is it that we need to, to put to, to put together? To which could look at different parameters of readiness of healthcare systems. So whether it's looking at technological or how data is aggregated, how much evidence they are generating within their own country, and how they're aggregating that data across populations. So having sort of like this personalized healthcare index, they're saying what are the different parameters we need to be focusing on in the future? And then you measure the countries against those different parameters to see how they're doing. So some countries might be good in one area versus the other. And then you take those different parameters and really take a look at so what are they doing? What's a specific country doing? What countries are doing really well on? And where are areas of improvement? And then how do you bring the countries together to share best practice across on those countries that are better in one area and need to improve in that same area, so bringing those countries together. But also being able to start dialogues around, you know, what decisions need to be, you know, what decisions could could be made based on that data. So what areas within the healthcare system do they need to focus on? So it could be on how systems speaking to each other within that specific country or how can they are what do they have the right policies in place that can enable telemedicine for example and it really enables them to be able to equip decision makers to take actionable decisions moving forward and focusing on a specific area where if they really focus on that area then they can solve for that moving forward in the future and bring people together to think about how, how they're able to do that. So it's, it's sort of taking a look to say, what is it that we need for, for healthcare in the future? What is, how do we measure that? And what are the gaps? And then how does each country focus on the gaps that they're trying to solve for? That's the intention. And how do you bring people together so that they can learn from each other to, in order to be able to strengthen the healthcare systems? Okay, and this this index um, is it already live, and um, are these all initiatives? So um, we we already have a website. Um, mm. The the index will be um, launched in the next couple of months. So we're still in the process of it's quite a, an enormous task of bringing the data together. And as you can imagine, in Asia, we don't 
you know, really trying to find reliable data sources that could right. be compared against each other as well is not always so straightforward. So that's where we are at the moment. And so there's a there's a website, and already on the website, um, we have you know many of the, the different stakeholders sharing their opinion around what the future of healthcare looks like say whether it's in 2030 or 2050 and what's needed in order to be able to make the changes as, as we move forward mm-hmm. and how do we really um, think about how can we tailor individual patient care and so then later this index will be available on that website. Okay, sounds good. Um, and I guess for this to work you would have to be able to gather enough data so where does the data come from right now currently? Do you need to speak to you know various governments to ask them um, you know we're doing this initiative can you share the data and are you drawing data from other uh, more global organizations to yeah so we're, we're drawing data from I mean we have previously been data that's available from WHO unfortunately that data is not being refreshed in the near future mm-hmm. um, so so that they're looking at a number of different parameters but yes so the process we're in at the moment is reaching out at, at a country level in order to be able to get access to the data that can help inform the index and looking across to see what data already exists in it what exists in the system and then also with the experts to, to sort of pressure test you know, the different parameters that we're thinking about around what's important for the future, you know, for what, what you measure when you're looking at future healthcare systems as well. Mm. So that requires a lot of collaboration in order to, to bring that together mm. as well. And then it's something that ideally, you know, over time you can refresh as, as countries make progress and, and move forward. I think the most important thing is is also the you know, how you then later bring people together with different perspectives to have this discussion around where do countries focus on and what's needed for them to be able to move forward from a healthcare systems perspective. Mm, yeah, and this goes back to the whole trust and relationship between stakeholders and countries that we were talking about uh, before this. So with the website and index coming online soon, um, are you busy um, putting everything together and promoting it? And Yeah, so um, actually so some of my colleagues um, are hardworking on that and working with, with the different stakeholders at the moment. There's a lot of work within the countries um, focusing on that. For me... And what we've been also doing in parallel is we started a, an initiative called Mission Leapfrog. And this is where you're bringing together stakeholders across internal and external stakeholders, so from within Roche, but also outside of Roche. And really, the vision for us is, you know, how do we improve the well-being of patients in Asia? And having a roundtable approach. So we had a roundtable last week. We'll have another one um, mid-November. And we're focusing on two countries, Philippines and Thailand, mm-hmm. um, with stakeholders from both of those countries. And it's around, of course, the, the word being, you know, the leapfrog. What is it that needs to be solved for within those healthcare systems, um, if taking Philippines and Thailand? And then, and what experiments do you need in order to try to solve for what the issues exist in the healthcare system? So, say, for example, if you're trying to solve for something which is how do we help to treat those patients who are in the rural parts of Philippines, for example. 
what different approaches could we take that could help the, the treatment of those patients? And you're looking at the, when you're thinking of the leapfrog, it's not what's necessarily been solved for in the past. So it's not the next thing, it's not the next thing, but it's the thing after that that's coming. And that could be by, and really thinking about what's the system change. So really bringing a group of sort of committed individuals together to try to solve for that. And then, and then bringing in diverse thinking, some of which are sort of stakeholders from this future proofing health initiative to, to help people to think about what those leapfrogs could be. And then experimenting by putting things in place within the countries to see if it actually has a change and an impact that can inform other countries on, on what they're trying to solve for. So that's a little bit about what I've been spending some of my time on is thinking around, you know, how do we bring this together with, with my counterparts in diagnostics and other colleagues by starting to focus on a couple of specific countries and thinking about what's the value that we can bring you know, to the patient and society, but also and, and what's the role that we can play in, in that when we're trying to solve for that. Mm. So we'll see what happens with that. That's happening in parallel as well. Yeah, really looking forward to seeing all of these projects and initiatives come out. And, you know, as we wrap up our conversation, I know that um, you sometimes, you know, write thought leadership pieces online and you sometimes speak at conferences and, and you mentioned some of the work that you're doing right now, uh, you know, for the government officials who are watching or listening right now or you know, independent experts who are thinking, oh, I'm, I'm an expert in these areas. Maybe I can contribute to, uh, you know, your projects. How can people, you know, follow your work or, or find you or, you know, partner with Roche? Yeah, I mean, this a great question. I think um, for sure, sort of, as you say, I'm active on, on LinkedIn. I think the other thing is, you know, take a visit at the Future Proofing Health website as well, because I think there's, there's an opportunity to be part of the conversation there. And later we will be, um, we're in the process of putting a Mission Leapfrog website together. And, and what I would hope is that there's an opportunity for people to see what is it that we're trying to solve for. And if they've got ideas and thoughts, you know, to be able to contribute to that as well. So I really, I just think that there's so many people have got such great ideas and how can we sort of come together to solve the things on this. So that's, that would be my invitation. Okay, great. Yeah. And I'll definitely get, um, you know, all the website URLs and project names off of you later. Um, well, yeah, that's it for the podcast. And I'm, you know, so glad that we are able to connect and hopefully, um, you know, we'll get to speak again soon. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And thanks for giving me the opportunity. And it's been great talking with you today. And that's it for this episode. And thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Rachel's work and Roche Pharma in future-proofing healthcare, make sure to check out their website at futureproofinghealthcare.com and look out for their future initiative called Leapfrog. If you'd like to support the show, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're getting the show. You can also find me on Twitter at jchanpharma or you can email me at jchanpharma at gmail.com. See you in the next one. It's not always this way Cause once upon a time He wandered all alone Until the crew showed up one day He felt awkward and insecure 